Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. I want to hear from you today. It's 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-M. Facebook and Twitter also get you part of the show. It is Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That is where you can hear us. And we have a huge show for you today. We are going to talk to Daniel Wallach. There's all kinds of crazy stuff going on in Florida, New York, California. Will they get sports betting bills? What is the repercussions? Well, Daniel Wallach is the foremost expert. We're going to talk to him. Absolutely got to get into that. But first, we're going to do a little bit of fantasy talk here and how that can relate to sports betting. We'll get into that. We'll dive in with our Rotomill fantasy expert, Chuck T. Chuck, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, beautiful beautiful day uh feel summer coming on it's oh getting, yeah it's getting nice outside pollen is uh, affecting all of us though <laughs> and uh but we are uh we're 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 almost at the one-third point of the baseball season and so there's still two-thirds of a season to play a ton of games a ton of room to catch up and a lot of money to be made in daily fantasy you know before you before we go into what i was going to talk about i like that you said that because there comes a point in a season, and I know that there are markers, okay? Some people have the 25% mark. Some people have the one-third mark. You often hear, when you speak to baseball managers, um, you often hear June 1st, right? That's kind of their their number, June 1st. I spoke to managers back in, like, the 90s and, and the early 2000s. They used to say, July 4th weekend is where I kind of give, give a litmus test of my team, right? But I do find often in sports betting world, in sports fantasy world, in daily fantasy world, you know, speaking to people like that, they often kind of don't realize how much of the season's gone. And they go, ah, he'll turn it around. Oh, wait, Francisco Lindor's batting under 200. Ah, it's early. It's not that early, guys, right? And you also have the other side of it where a guy's crushing it, and you go, yeah, you know what, Kevin Gaussman, I don't really believe in this guy. Well, he's got a two ERA, man, and we're like almost a third through the season. It's time to start to believe. Uh, do you hear that a lot in your circles? I do. I, I hear it. I do hear it a lot. And, you know, I think the one thing, the one stat that translates to us from daily, from season long, that's really down is the stolen bases. You go look at Whit Merrifield is leading the majors with 12 steals. All right, we're in week seven right now the season so you look at him and you go okay he's, he's covering his nut he's got his more than seven steals but when you look at the season long now you're looking at a guy who might lead major league baseball with 36 steals and, wh- and what year have you ever seen that that's really down 36 steals you know you used to always have a couple of guys top 50 and there's nobody on a pace for 50 this year so when you do take back what seems to be happening in the current season you're seeing a ton of hit by pitches. You're seeing a lot of guys getting hurt. You're seeing a lot of pitchers either sinking or swimming. The the guys who are swimming, they're they're setting records. They're doing great. Gaussman's at an ERA too. But then you look at some other guys, they're they're really not carrying their load. I always like to look at the week that I'm in, and I like to see one home run, and I like to see one stolen base for each week that I'm in. And so if you're not cutting that seven and seven cutoff on stolen bases and homers for me well look you know you're 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 off the mark uh, but when you could look at the season long 
you do got to look at that 36 and realize this is going to impact me for how I play my fantasy, uh, daily fantasy lineups. That's going to have an impact on me. Yeah, Ricky Henderson would have 36 by now. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm not joking. For you young kids out there, I'm not joking, right? Ricky Henderson, if we're uh, almost one-third through the season, uh, he would steal over 100, right? He, he'd, yeah. have, he'd have 30 now. Just imagine those days, right? So uh, the other thing is, is, you know, the home runs. Everyone's going crazy about home runs. But here's what's weird. People go, oh, my God, home runs are off the chart. Oh, no, no. Uh, you know, Otani is on pace for just about 50. Aaron Judge is on pace for low 40s. Yeah, you know, the guy, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., on pace for low 40s. There's a couple of guys on pace for low 40s. Really, Otani was, was you know, the the... Just just about 50. We're not looking at paces of 55, 60 home runs. And everyone's talking about home runs because I get it. It's a home run uh, rejuvenation. I get it. It's across the board. It's all crazy. But it's not as nuts as we've seen. Think about it like this, guys. We've watched guys hit 20 home runs in a month. We, we've watched that. Now, they can't sustain it, but we've watched that. We're one through the, through the season here, or just about. No one's got 20 home runs, you know? So uh, you look at it and you go, yeah, it feels like home runs are crazy. It feels like it, it's getting nuts, but it's really not, Chuck. Uh, I think what it is, what is true, though, is that you see everyone swinging for home runs. That's what you see, and that's why you're seeing the strikeouts at very high levels. You're seeing a lot of guys striking out. You're seeing a lot of guys with just terrible walk to strikeout profiles. There's a lot of guys out there with, you know, they've got seven walks and they've struck out 38 times. And I used to wince at, at, at numbers like that when I would see them amongst players. But today, you really got to get in on the home runs. You do have to somewhat swing for them as well in terms of how you do your lineup. So you do see a lot of guys, you know, swinging. You see the launch angles. Launch angle is now a stat that's tracked in StatCast. I mean, look at how far we've come in this respect. Ten years ago, nobody cared about launch angle. Nobody even would talk about it. And everyone's doing it today. And so you do, you're seeing this worsening in the walk-to-strikeout profile, but you're also seeing that appeal. It's, it's, that's how you get on the highlights. You tend to not get and on your the contract. Highlights. Yeah, forget about the highlight. Yeah. It's your contract, right? right? Yeah. I mean, yo, look, I'm hitting home runs. Uh, uh, Adam Dunn would have been uh, making $200 million. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Hey, look, I, I'm, I'm hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Right. Uh, give me more money. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, uh, a long time ago when Bernie Williams was trying to renegotiate his contract, Bernie was citing that he had hit 40-plus home runs the year prior. But when they actually looked at the the volume of the data, it was like he had the 37th most home runs in the game. 36 more guys had hit. But he was asking for $12 million in a day and age when $10 million was a ton. And, you know, so, yeah, it does translate to that discussion when you sit down to arbitrate. It does translate to that discussion when you put yourself out there as a free agent. It's definitely a, a driving force. Chuck, we're talking about strikeouts. I, I want to throw a guy out there since we are talking a little bit of fantasy, okay? I'm going to throw a guy out there that uh, I'm going to give you his minor league stats. I think you're going to know who he was, right? 26 games, five strikeouts. 29 games, five strikeouts the next year. 42 games, five strikeouts. 20, uh, 49 games, six strikeouts. And we're talking about Nick Madrigal, a guy that you absolutely love. Big-time walk numbers, right? 17 to 6, 20 to 5. Uh, this year, he's got more walk, uh, more strikeouts than walks. I watched him strike out twice in a game. Yeah. Okay, now he's not changing his launch angle you know, swing. He's not going for the home run, even though he does have one this year. He's not going for that. But, Chuck, if you're a Nick Madrigal guy, you were banking on the walks. He's not getting them. What do you do with him? 
Yeah, you know, too many of Nick Madrigal's at-bats end with contact. And, and, and that's a weird thing to say. But it, it doesn't end up with him on first base. And so when you look at his on-base percentage, it's not killing it. It's not even at 380. 38% of the time used to kind of be a gold standard for me. I remember it because it was the category at which you got uh, five runs in a category game. So 380 was always this magical number. And um, But he's not near that. And so uh, a lot of Nick Madrigal at-bats end with him making contact, be it good contact, on a pitch in the strike zone, he makes contact much like Yogi Berra did on balls that are out of the strike zone as well. So he's he is such an extreme con. You know, he his profile is so extreme because he does that. So a lot of his contact doesn't tend to be quality contact because he will put the bat on the ball. He's a great guy when you got a man on second base and you're looking to get him into over to third. Nick Madrigal's your guy, but um, if for fantasy, we got to see a little bit more strength. And a little, maybe he's got to play with the launch angle a little bit just to fit in in terms of his And he's not running. Career. That's yeah. the problem. That's you know, problem. I didn't expect any uh, you know home runs from him, but I needed some kind of steals. He's got the runs, which is nice. Right. Um, you know, but he, he's got to get those steals. Or or it's an empty batting average. And let me tell you something. It's not even a batting average. You know, I'll deal with a 320 batting average if you got nothing else across the board. But you're batting 270, 280. You got no steals. You got no power. You have no RBIs. The runs are nice. Could find him somewhere else. I think he's unplayable. I, I, I think he's he's almost droppable in redraft leagues. So we're sitting down with Chuck T. The forward thinking has been a mantra of SGN for forever, right? Um, you go look it up. It's SGN. It, it is always forward thinking. What are we doing next? What? So I'm going to go a little further forward thinking, right? And I want to talk about guys that are going to come back Maybe sitting on your waiver wire. Maybe no one's paying attention to. Maybe when they come back, they're going to have a lower price tag than they should. Let's start with one of the guys that I believe is going to have an impact this summer. Uh, late in the summer, August, September, if you are in a head-to-head league, he can win you a championship. If you're in a roto league, stash this guy now. And that's Luis Severino. Severino is a guy to me that the Yankees are being careful with because they can. The Yankees don't have to rush him along. They don't have to worry about it. He's got an electric arm. And I think that they have already put in their head, we don't necessarily need him for the regular season. We want him ready for the postseason, which means he's going to amp it up, and they're going to want to see good starts to trust him in the postseason, which means those last couple of weeks, those last, what, four or five starts that he could give you could make you a championship guy. I'm hearing nothing but great reports about Severino. They're taking it slow, but I'm hearing good stuff. What about you, Chuck? Yeah, uh, Severino, total agreement. This is a uh, a pitcher that has really electric stuff and has um, at least – when he first came up in the majors, my my thought was this is an arm for the bullpen, I thought. But it, it, the stuff is so good that he can start. And he can go out there with, um, you know, three good pitches. And that's the that's the key when you get through that order the third time. So, you know, yeah, if, if Severino can get you some quality starts in a playoff scenario or very late in September and help uh, get you home field advantage for the playoffs, I, I, come on, how do you beat a weapon like that? Yeah, I mean, your your fantasy league, the Yankees are, right, going for home field. You got Severino on the mound. If they trust him, you got to trust him. You know, that that's one of the things I go with fantasy. Listen, you know, if the team trusts him in a big spot, you got to trust him. How about a guy that, that went down uh, last week, which was Mike Trout? They're saying six to eight-week recovery. We know Mike Trout is in ridiculous shape. Um, 
probably closer to the six weeks, if I'm guessing, but six to eight week recovery. Is this a time to buy low on Mike Trout, if there's ever a time to buy low on Mike Trout? Or the argument that I'm going to give you, I don't believe in, but I've heard it out there, okay? And that is Mike Trout's constantly injured, and he's gotten to an age where he's always injured. Tell me your thoughts on Trout. It's the calf. The problem is this calf has caused a six-week absence in the 2018 season as well. So when you miss a Mike Trout for six weeks of a 26-week baseball season, this this injury now is going to be eight weeks of a 26-week baseball season. You're talking about being without Mike Trout almost a third of the time. And so it does put a dent, I think, in his value. If you can find – my thought about this is always the same, though. I care about the brilliance he brings to the field on a week-to-week basis. I don't care if – because, I look, I can put in a league average player in my lineup while Mike Trout's out. What do I have at the end of the day? I might have 18 weeks of excellence and eight weeks of league average. Well, heck, that's a winning formula still for me. So that, but, but my concern, again, is it is the calf again. Um, and so it's that same muscle group. He's a tightly wound guy. He crashes into walls. If he's not, you know, but he's never had a shoulder injury. Funny. Out of out of out of a guy who plays that recklessly, it's been his legs, and that's that's the interesting part. So you do have to wonder. Mike Trout's speed seems to have mostly vanished at this yeah, point. Yeah, only a couple so, of steals this year. A couple of steals. So you're not going to get steals when he comes back. You can hammer that down to the owner who owns him to try to get the price down. Maybe if you want to try to trade for him, the owner in my league. A little bit of a skittish guy. You got to know the personality of the man you're making trades with more than you need to know the talent in the trade. He is, I think he's softening. I think he's ready to lose Trout. Why do you pay a high price for Trout? Because he's a one player in baseball that could put up a 450 on base percentage in his sleep. In his sleep, he can do that. That's the reason why you would go out for him. How about a guy that's under the radar a little bit, right? And that's Zach Britton. Look, in most leagues, people aren't using him, right? Nobody cares because he's a a middle reliever. If you're in a holds league, which almost all my leagues are holds leagues, this is a dynamic guy to stash on their bench. But I'm going to say that you could get him in a regular league because Aroldis Chapman is on pace right now for more innings than they're going to let him pitch. Let's just say that. I don't want to give an exact pace. I'm just going to say more innings than they're going to let him pitch. Now, he's been brilliant, okay? But the Yankees, over the last couple of years, have rested Chapman. Didn't want to put him in there. Early on, you look at Chapman's numbers, you go, oh, man, he's pitching every day. He's getting every single save. Uh, Last year, you had Adivino, or two years ago, Adivino, Canely, Chad Green got a couple, Zach Britton got a couple, but they're going to do that again. It's the same manager, it's the same team, it's the same philosophy. They haven't done it because they didn't have the luxury of doing it. I think Zach Britton ends the season, Chuck. I'm not going to go crazy. Seven saves. You know, five to seven saves. Might even get up to the 10 mark. I think I'm stacking, uh, stashing Zach Britton. Yeah, you do. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a great cuff if you're a Chapman owner. Okay, and it's in if you are in a league specific AL only format, I love guys who can get you a bunch of holds, sneak in an occasional save, because you end up tracking well in both of those categories when you do that. TJ Antone in the National League is to me that guy right now where the stuff is even good enough that they may even give him a late season start, and so. That's heaven to me when I can find a pitcher who can do that. Get me saves, which he's currently closing. Get me holds, and maybe even a late season start or two. It's that's beautiful.
by the way, my, my philosophy, I always do this. I grab a guy with starting pitching, relief pitching eligibility. That's going to get me holds. Tyler Chatwood this year. He's got nearly double-digit holds. His ERA is literally about a half, okay? The guy's whip is fantastic, and he's not taking up a reliever spot for me. He's sitting there and not taking up a reliever spot. All right, who else is coming back? Maybe over the summer, maybe later. I know you have your eye on somebody. Oh, Justin Verlander. Uh, when, you know... It depends on your format. You know, when you play in a CBS Sports League, they don't have IL slots in a lot of their in a lot of their games. Okay, and when you play in an ESPN league, we have in my league we have five. You can customize it. They can go from two to like eight or ten. I, I forget the number, but uh, they don't count against your roster limit. You're carrying them for free. So in the in the off season, the Justin Verlander owner that I dealt with did not want to use a protected keeper slot for Justin Verlander, so he was eager to get rid of I said, I'll, I'll always hold a, I'll hold Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander want to pitch, wants to pitch until his mid-40s. He's that much of a hoss that he wants to go out there and grab it. I love Justin Verlander. I'm, I'm holding him for free right now. He doesn't cost, count against my roster limit. I couldn't do that if I was playing in a CBS Sports League, but I can do it in ESPN. And he is there to make a noise about a Labor Day that he's going to be on the mound and ready to go. So I I absolutely love Justin Verlander. That's a great hold. And if you can do it in a format that lets you hold him for free, why not? Yo, let's let's talk about that real quick because I love these starting pitchers that are coming back late. And, and Verlander, Severino, these are two guys um, that, are, that are massive names. They are, if they're healthy, top 15 guys. Easy. Maybe top 10, right? We, we know that. Here's why I love those late guys, okay? Besides the fact that I said, okay, the team has to trust them. You also have two guys that are high strikeout guys. So that works to your advantage also. But late in the season, and a lot of people don't look at this aspect, Chuck, and I want to ask you how much validity this has. Late in the year, you're getting two guys coming back. They're coming back on contending teams. Who do you think they're going to be playing? Teams that have a lot of minor league call-ups. Teams that have guys at the end of the year that sort of don't care. You know, look... If you're sitting back and you're the Baltimore Orioles and it's September, okay, and you're facing Luis Severino, you're going to go, you know what, we'll bring up Gunnar Henderson for a game. Let's see what he's got. Oh, the lineup's three guys that weren't even on the roster. Oh, you got four guys. It's huge. Now, I like it even more if I could find one of those guys in the National League. So you got two or three call-ups. You got a pitcher. You know, the guy could have a bad start and strike out seven. So, yeah, I think the starting pitching more than anything, and big-time starting pitching that is coming back with a decent track record that has the strikeout numbers on a contending team that has a schedule. If you look at the Yankee schedule, you look at Houston's schedule, at the end of the year, oh, a lot of soft spots there. You know, look at the Mariners. If, if Houston plays the Mariners, I look, I know how good Kelnick is, and I get how good Rodriguez is, and I, I, I understand it. There's going to be a lot of AAA guys there, right? So... I love those two. Tell me, am I on the right path there? You are, you are totally. You know, you, you know who's going to play more in the second half than he's he's getting benched a lot more right now? Akil Badu with Detroit. Second half of the year, when it, there's nothing to play for, there's, they're not in contention, they're going to play him the whole second half of the year, and they'll certainly be playing him in September. They're not going to let another rookie have his playing time. He'll be playing. Verlander can strike him out three times in a night. I don't even doubt that. I I just don't doubt that. You know, so the stuff is there to be dominant against, you know, again, you, you're going to look at who's going to be up. You're going to see Helio Ramos up. You're going to see Luis Matos up. You're going to see uh, jo- Joey Bart. 
Joey Bart, 40% strikeout rate. He's going to be up with San Francisco. You give me a National League pitcher late in the season facing Joey Bart, I might get two Ks, right, just from him. You know, you start adding. They do add up, and you will find that. And those guys, they love to chase pitches out of the strike zone. All right, we're going to take a timeout here, Chuck. But on the other side, you started mentioning them. So my juices are going, right? (laughs) He's mentioning Bart. He's mentioning these guys. We're going to get into who's next because this, I think, is massive. From a sports betting perspective, I have always said, watch the minor leagues, watch the minor league pitchers because it doesn't matter how good the guy is. When he comes up, the lines are going to be set against him. And people don't believe somebody, oh, it's first major league start. Well, guess what? It's sometimes... That's a good spot. Uh, in fantasy, even more so. People, even Kelnick, he's got a lot of hype to him. He's still underpriced. So we're going to take a look at who's going to be next. We're going to take a quick timeout, come back with more from Chuck T., our Rotomill fantasy expert. <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome back. We're talking a little fantasy today, and that's what we're doing here with Chuck T., our Rotomill fantasy expert. And we're sitting back uh, discussing the youngsters, right? Uh, Chuck started throwing out names. Uh, Bart, uh, I, I, got, I got excited, all right? Because I think this is an integral part. It's an integral part of daily fantasy to get in on a rookie because he's just flat out not going to be valued where he's supposed to be valued. Even the highest rookies. Um, maybe one or two will come in with a little more hype and they'll be valued regular. But normally speaking, you're going to watch these guys underrated. Even guys that get resent back down. Kyle Isbell made me some money as my last guy for a while there, right? He wasn't doing anything special, but you know, all you need is a little bit. So I want to talk to you about the next up. I'm going to throw out some names. I want your opinion on them, okay? But before we do any of that, we got to get to the biggest name, and that's Wander, right? I mean, look, he's the biggest name. He he should have been brought up before Kelnick. The Rays last week go out and they make a trade, so they bring up walls and basically delaying his clock, and people freaked out, and I said, wait a minute, he's not even on the 40-man roster. We couldn't expect that. I believe the Rays are potentially the best run organization in the sport okay them and probably st louis they run a terrific organization i am not doubting them i'm not questioning them here i think the kid's young i think he'll be up when his time is ready i i don't think that they are forcing him i'm not questioning the raise but man i kind of want to see him up yeah, and, you know, I got very excited when I saw that trade hit the wire, and especially because the before the trade was announced, there was a, another announcement that they were very close to dealing um, uh, Willie Adamas. And when I saw that, I said, well, that clears the way. There you go for Wander Franco. He's next. Um, yeah, they're going to take a couple of days here. I, I think they... I, I think there's a profound sense of pride in that organization. They, I don't think they really want a sports writer telling them when Wander Franco is ready. They're, they, they are that smart with every decision that they make that I, I, I kind of just, I honestly feel they're just giving it, hey, kid, we're telling you right now, job's yours. You got a week. Show us what you got. Finish it. Let's work on these last few little things we want to see. He's going to be up. I, I, I predict he'll be up in June. And let's talk quick about Taylor Walls, who actually was crushing it, okay? He, he's batting 327 uh, with a slash line of 468 and 490 in 14 games at AAA. I mean, it's it, this kid has immense talent also. I watched him at Florida State, okay? He's a switch hitter, uh, 24 years old. Let's not just brush this aside and be like, ah, oh, they brought up some scrub. Taylor Walls has a future. Maybe not at shortstop. Maybe at second base. Maybe... 
But Taylor Walls has a future. There's a few of these situations throughout the game right now. The Mike Trout injury has to po- has to pose possibilities for you know um, some of their players to get called up, particularly Joe Adele. Um, Joe Adele now has six home runs in 13 games down in the minor leagues. You know, look, hey, that's a, a he's hitting a home run every other day. That's what it's at. He's striking out. 38% of the time, too. But, again, um, opportunities for playing time. You see the organization clear the space for you. The possibility exists very strongly. You're going to be the next guy up. So, yeah, um, definitely see that. Well, it's funny because we, we, we talk about reclamation projects and guys like T. Scott Fanny and Gaussman and whatnot. High-profile prospects that now are finding themselves at 29 or 30. So you have to be careful with prospects. I think because Joe Adele fell flat on his face last year, they don't want him to do it again. If he does it again, you can ruin him as, as a prospect. And that's the whole thing. You know, you got to be careful with a guy like Joe Adele. You said it. Oh, six or runs. Oh, it's fantastic. 38% strikeout rate is not so much. And his walk rate is under 10%, right? So his walk rate is terrible. His strikeout rate is a lot, which means, sure, you could crush AAA, uh, but when you get to the majors, you're going to be exposed, which happened to him last year. Now, I think Adele's future is very bright, but I understand both of these moves. Somebody that I didn't understand was Kelnick, okay? Um, in fantasy circles, this is a hot-button topic right now. I have a bunch of fantasy leagues, okay? And the guys in my leagues are not nutbags, okay? I'm going to say that. They're just not. I've watched Kelnick f- go for some seriously established stars. Seriously established stars. Um, I watched him go w- with a closer, okay? Him and Brad Hand for Bregman, okay? I'm watching Kelnick go for some seriously established stars. And you look at, at him and you go... What is the upside? What is his ceiling? Where can he go to? Look, you can't look at Kelnick and say Mike Trout. You know, and make sure if you're going to trade for a guy that is the hype of Kelnick, right? My advice is this. Make sure that his upside is going to be bigger than, like, to me, if Kelnick becomes Bregman, it's a massive success. So how are you trading him? But I'm seeing stuff like that happen. Where do you think Kelnick should be going? Kelnick, to me, the exact profile, I think it's a, an, an exact one, just just from physical appearance and the statistical profile. It's Grady Sizemore, too. That's who Kelnick, to me, is. It, he's not Mike Trout. We know this. But he is. He, you, you see everything that you loved in those first five major league seasons from Grady Sizemore. You do see a guy who can hit two ninety at the sh- at the show. You do see a guy who can put up a three fifty on base in the show. You do see a guy. Now, Grady Sizemore, I think, had a little bit more stolen bases. Okay, he he was a little bit. But did you watch that second game? Now, the first game was a bust. Okay, on Kelnick. But I had my Roku on. I had the MA, Major League Baseball channel on. I watched him when he hit a ball that really didn't go to the wall. It just simply went to a gap, and he legged out that double. That was beautiful. I was blown away, and I said, "That's Grady Size. That's Grady Sizemore. That's the I'm seeing." And that's you know we love to do this. You know, people who love wine, they love to talk about other fruits that the wine reminds them of. When I look at baseball players, I look at guys that look like former baseball players to me. I when I look at him, I see I see Sizemore. Here's the thing: as good as Sizemore wasn't, he was a first round fantasy pick. Couldn't Kelnick become? And look, I like Kelnick. But but couldn't Kelnick become Hunter Pence? Who, Hunter Pence for a seven-year span, basically hit 25 home runs, drove in 100, and had 15 steals. It was a good, solid seven years. There is no way Hunter Pence was ever a first or a second-round pick. And, and I think putting that label on someone that's so young, it just gets us in fantasy world 
it, it gets us crazy. Yeah, You're we, putting Hall of Fame numbers on somebody that that could very well just be very good. Yeah, I you know, and and the the odds I think are more likely that Kellenic is going to veer towards very good than to excellent. I I really feel that way too. Um, very, I own him in in my mixed league, and I, I it's a dynasty league where I I I do have him, but. Again, I would prefer to see it before I trade for it, before I give up value for it. A good, a better example, the guy I think has a higher long-range ceiling in that same organization is Julio Rodriguez. Julio Rodriguez can hit 50 home runs. Julio Rodriguez is just that talented. He might hit 340 one season. Julio Rodriguez is even a fairly quick guy. He could steal 15 to 20. He could be Manny Ramirez with speed. That's an interesting profile. Yeah, Julio Rodriguez jumps off the page as me as well. I would pay uh, higher dollar value for Julio Rodriguez than Kelnick right now. Wow, yeah. now yeah. that's a statement. I love it. Yeah. I, that's a statement we're going to have to put out there. I like it. I like <laughs> it. You're going to get some pushback. Guys, pushback. It's Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, on Facebook and Twitter, and hashtag SGN. Uh, but, but, but that's a bold statement. I, I can't argue with it that much. I'm a Kelnick guy, but I can't argue with it that all that much. Um, what I will say is this. Be careful with prospects because for every Miggy Caprera or whatnot, I'm going to throw out some names. Delman Young, Brandon Wood, you know, guys that could not miss, can't miss prospects. Well, uh, okay. Tom, what did you know that Kelnick is owned in 86% of ESPN leagues? And when you look at that 23-year-old catcher for the Braves, William Contreras is owned in 17.5% of ESPN leagues. Now, we're talking about 23-year-old catcher. He's hit five home runs already. He's walking. He's got a 360 on base percentage. His OPS is 930. OPS of 930, 23 years old, 17 per. What? Sometimes I really do look at, I know why I win money in daily fantasy, because it's 83% of the owners don't have William Contreras on their team. You mentioned catcher. What about Joey Bart? You touched on him real quick. I think Bart's going to be a player. Uh, this Buster Posey, I, I found the fountain of youth, okay? I, I mean, let's just say, but it really wasn't. Look, I have Buster Posey in quite a few leagues, and I've, I've been a Buster Posey fan, but you have a catching grind. A guy that went to those to the playoffs year after year after year, uh, the World Series year after year after year, and now he gets a year off, and now he comes back and he's raking. Um, I do see the Giants going, wait a minute, we can't destroy this guy's knees. I think Bart comes up over the summer. I think Buster Posey basically plays first base, at least in a split spot. And I think Buster Posey um, uh, could very well keep this up to an extent. I think Joey Bart is going to be that power in the middle of that lineup that they need. I think he has a lot of success, and I think he has success this year. He has hit a few tape measure home runs down at the uh, AAA level. He seems to have shortened the swing a bit. He does not have um, – he's trimmed the strikeout percentage a little bit. It's down in the low 30s now. It was over 42% last summer, and that was a recipe for disaster. He struggled big time. Um, he seems to have shortened the stroke. He still has tr- – I mean, tremendous power. He, Like I said, he did hit a 480-foot home run this year. Uh, he, I think, can do, give you the versatility thing, too. And in the postseason, you could run into that situation with DH play available, which helps Joey Bart, too. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's an easy 30-home run guy if he ever gets full playing time. Let's go to some pitchers here. Uh, Gilbert comes up. Everyone goes, oh, bring him up, bring him up, bring him up. He don't look good. Oh, he's too early. Okay. 
We're going to get that, right? Uh, I want to talk to you about two Toronto guys, though, because Toronto is missing pitching. Their hitting is fine. We, we've we said that. When do they go, you know what? We've we, we got to get these pitchers up. Everyone's looking at Pearson, right? Nate Pearson is fantastic. Have you seen what Manoa has done in the minors this year? He is dominating in a way that very few pitchers in the history of baseball have dominated a level. He's dynamic. I think he comes up before Pearson, but I think both of them are, are up here in July and August. Manoa is a fantastic prospect. I My heart sank when his name got announced in, in, in our draft this year, and he was off the board. I wanted him. The if you recall, now we're New Yorkers, so we 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 watched the Yankee spring training games. He was a man on the mound against the Yankees. Did he put he put the, down the Yankees in order? In and he did it twice in a week. He he came out against the Yankees in two separate appearances in spring training, and he dominated a veteran, very patient, good offense, and he looked like the man. And he is. He is a big boy. He's barrel-chested. He is fearless. He's got the right temperament. It's a guy I love. Good player. In the first three starts of AAA this year, the, 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 these are these are video game numbers. In his first three starts of AAA, uh, 3-0 with a half ERA, 0.5 ERA, 0.56 whip, 27 strikeouts, 3 walks. Yeah. I, I guys, it, you know, I actually thought he might have been a guy too that might have sneaked onto the roster out of spring training. The the numbers were phenomenal this spring. Didn't happen. So I'm not surprised that he was that dominant in those first three starts. Guys, you look at this from a uh, fantasy way. I, look, I'm I'm buying him right now. Well, I'd rather have him on my bench than some, you know what I mean, 32-year-old outfielder that's just taking a spot, right? Give me him. Um, but from a sports betting perspective, if I could bring it back into that, Manoa's going to come up. People don't know. He's not Kelnick. He's not one of these high prospects. People are not going to realize the name. They're not going to look at it. He's going to come up. If he comes up against a a good team like the Yankees, uh, Houston, you know what? I'll take a shot because he's going to be plus money. And he's not only going to be plus money. He's going to be plus a lot of money. You know, against a Yankee team, he's probably going to be plus. Uh, even if he's up against one of the lower-end guys, plus 140 or so. If he comes up against a Kansas City or if he comes up against a Baltimore, he'll probably be about even money. And guess what? That's the time to absolutely unload. Alex Manoa is a guy I have circled. I've circled in absolute red ink here. I'm jumping on him both in fantasy and in sports betting. Chuck, it has been fantastic. That is Rotomill fantasy expert Chuck T. This is Wagering Week. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Oh, yeah. What are the odds? Well, we have a date set. Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fuley, they will, they're going to have a trilogy, right? It's going to be number three, July 24th in Las Vegas. Fury opens up as a massive favorite, minus 360. If you want Wilder, you're getting back plus 250. In certain sports books, it's a little bit different. You're looking at uh, Fury maybe up to 400 or about down to 320. Wilder, the biggest number I saw was plus 300, but it's mostly right around that 250 plus 240 range. Wilder, 35 years old, is 42-1-1 in his career uh, with his only blemishes, both of them coming against Fury. Fury, 32 years old, is 30-0-1, and that one we know about. So 
Fight number three, Fury Wilder, is set and the odds are there. And that is what are the odds. The next guy that I have coming up, I'm telling you, this is the guy when you need some sports analyst on, on the sports attorney front, gaming law and sports betting attorney, founder of Wallach Legal and Sports Wagering, legal analyst at The Athletic, co-host of Con Detrimental. He is Daniel Wallach. We've had him on the show before. It's been a little while. Can't wait to pick his brain. Daniel, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Tom. Thanks for that nice introduction. I didn't realize I did all that stuff. <laughs> yes, you did. Absolutely. Uh, Daniel, yeah, well, look, all this stuff is breaking, and I said I just cannot wait to get inside your brain and start to talk to you about it. And I wanted to talk to you about the New York stuff, but now the Florida stuff is here in California. So let's start with the Florida uh, conversation because I'm not a legal analyst, but all I keep seeing is that there is massive confusion. No one knows what's going on. It seems like a monopoly to me, and this seems like bad news across the board for Florida. Am I right? A hundred percent. And what's uh, problematic about it is that it's a very confusing uh, structure legally because this isn't uh, the way that most states create mobile sports betting. Most states go outside of Indian land and just pass statutes, and the statutes are like, like you see in New York, New Jersey, uh, Pennsylvania. In, in Florida, they, we have a state constitution that prohibits any authorization of casino gambling. So our state law, our state lawmakers and, and the governor decided to create this entire structure through an Indian gaming compact, which is governed by federal law. The only problem, however, is that this federal law requires that all of the gaming activity take place solely on Indian land, which is the reservation only. So how do you get to statewide mobile betting? When you have a federal requirement that this structure only include gambling that takes place on the reservation, well, the answer is to try to you know, mirror what New York and New Jersey have done, which is to create this fiction that the server is the place where the bet takes place and that the better's location is irrelevant. But uh, under federal law, uh, the location of the better is what governs. So I think this structure is going to be shot down. Uh, once federal lawsuits start getting filed. And the difficult part of this is it creates, right now the tri Seminole Tribe of Florida is in control of the whole process, but at least it provides uh, participation for the different racetracks, uh, dog tracks, and highlight venues. They are you know, deemed to be the, uh, the hub or the spokes of a hub and spoke system operated on top by the Seminole Tribe. But once all this off-reservation stuff gets eliminated, then all the participation from these other tracks and venues, those will disappear as well, which the result of this is going to be that the only place you're going to be able to bet in Florida is at a tribal reservation. And there are about eight of them in the entire state of Florida, which is like the third largest state in the country in terms of population size. And I don't think lawmakers fully appreciated the legal vulnerabilities involved with this structure. A number of them were quoted as saying, uh, yeah, we think this is going to get overturned in the courts. We're not sure. We're not lawyers. We're not supposed to interpret the law. Yeah, of course you're supposed to interpret the law because when the, when the law is finished with this structure, the, uh, the, 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 the final result will be unlike what the intent of the deal was. The intent of the compact was to provide this expansive statewide hub and spoke structure and in the end, you're just going to be giving a tri the tribe a monopoly on their own reservations. And then there'll be no mobile betting and no off-reservation betting, which really is the heart of the compact. You know, I know you said no mobile betting, but would there be a way that the Seminole tribe itself 
could establish mobile betting, or could they sell it off to some of the bigger names, the FanDuel's, the Sportsbooks, uh, you know, uh, the uh, you know uh, DraftKings and whatnot, or that would be illegal. That would be illegal too. Uh, the only my reading of the federal law is that the boundaries of the gambling activity are strictly limited to the four corners of the reservation. So if we're talking about mobile betting, I guess it it, it allows or would open up the possibility that you could you could use your mobile device while you're at the Seminole Hard Rock. But if you're in Orlando or if you're in Key West, it's not going to work. But listen, the state and the Seminole tribe believes that this is all going to be kosher because the location of the server on Indian land will magically transform all the bets that take place statewide and deem them to occur exclusively on Indian land because that's where the server's located. Uh, they're pointing to New York, uh, New Jersey, Michigan, Rhode Island, and West Virginia as, as examples of that structure. But those are, uh, uh, those are done in accordance with state law and state constitutions and the state contract law theory that the bet is a, is a contract and the contract is deemed to be made at the point of acceptance. Federal courts have rejected that. So you have a two-tiered structure. Under state law, you could probably get away with that, but under federal law, you cannot. And uh, you know, it's a real shame that these lawmakers understand that there's a high risk associated with this structure because so much of it takes place outside of the reservation, yet they went forward anyway, not appreciating that this deal will likely get unraveled by a federal court. And every federal decision that has addressed this very point has said that you look at the location of the gambler for purposes of determining where the gambling activity takes place, not the location of the server. So, you know, if, they, if they're banking on, 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 on an outlier ruling, it will have to go against every single federal precedent that, that is out there. And there's not a lot of it, but there's a U.S. Supreme Court decision, a Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals decision. Uh, the cases are called uh, Michigan versus Bay Mills and uh, California versus Ipe Nation, of uh, you know, a tribe in, in California. Uh, those are the two leading cases, and I don't see how you get around that. And it really makes this, uh, you know, there's a lot of excitement over bringing mobile sports betting to Florida, but I don't think that the, uh, the customers, the, the, the bettors, and the public is really aware of how vulnerable uh, this structure is to a legal challenge because this will be challenged in court by, uh, you know, two different groups. You'll have the people who think that casinos are, are bad and, and that this violates the state constitutional ban on casino gambling. And then you'll have the other groups, the you know, uh, paramutual facilities, the online gaming companies who are going to argue that this structure, which largely will exclude them, violates the federal requirement that all the gambling activity take place solely on Indian land. And that's a really easy case to prove. And I think by the time we get to July or August, we'll have we'll have some clarity around the legal proceedings and we'll probably will see this compact either uh, enjoined by federal court, you know, preliminary injunction or pared back uh, as a result of a final ruling. So I think we're we're going to come to the day probably in about a month and a half where lawsuits start getting filed. So I'm, I'm not real confident that a mobile sports wager will be placed in the state of Florida at any time in June or, or potentially ever 
under this compact. That is just horrible. And, you know, Florida is one of those states that you said it's so spread out. You mentioned the two places that I go vacation almost every year, and that's Key West and Orlando. We're talking about, you know, seven, eight hours apart. Um, there's no other state next to them that they could go. I mean, if you're in New York, at least you could go shoot over to Jersey. I guess you could go to Alabama, but it's 10, 12, 14 hours in some spots. Uh, they need this. I mean, they have to have mobile. There's no other way, right? We're no other way. No, no, Alabama and Georgia are the two you know, neighboring states, and they were considering sports betting legislation, but uh, both those measures failed. So um, there's no opportunity to go anywhere in the South other than maybe you know Mississippi and Louisiana, or, or in all likelihood what really happens in, in the real world here in Florida is that most most betters will will use you know uh, the, the websites from offshore illegal companies. It's just as easy uh, to, to to bet on one of these sites from your mobile device, and it's going to channel a lot of this activity, you know, to the illegal market. The people who are already gambling there are going to continue to gambling there. And if you're telling the vast majority of the state that we're going to give you mobile sports betting, get excited uh, in a couple of months, you'll be able to get on on onto DraftKings and FanDuel, and then it doesn't happen. Well, that's, that might have a channeling effect of driving a lot of these would-be bettors that were really getting enthusiastic over being able to bet on their mobile devices. And maybe they're going to start looking at other options, which would essentially turn them into you know, uh, illegal bettors through these offshore websites. So it's like a double whammy. You're, 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 you're driving, uh, you're keeping the old business in illegal markets, and you're potentially driving new business there. And once, they, once they're gambling, with offshore operators, they don't all migrate back. Maybe some do, many do, uh, but but you're creating a situation where you're you're basically um, sending your your business outside of state lines, outside of legal to illegal, and you may not be getting them back. We're sitting in with Daniel Wall, gaming law and sports betting attorney, founder of Wallach Legal, sports wagering lead analyst at the Athletic. Oh, he's doing it all, even a podcast co-host of. At Con Detrimental, you guys want to go check that out. We're talking about the Florida uh, sports betting laws, and you mentioned New York a couple of times, Daniel. And, you know, I'll tell you, I'm living in New York. People are not happy, even though we are getting sports betting. It's not coming probably until the, the next year. It's going to be in a limited scope. Can you tell us about the New York sports betting law and exactly what that means? Yeah, sure, Tom. Uh, it, it went from uh, a legislative proposal that created uh, sort of an e- equal access for the four casinos and up to two of their online partners. And it basically, it, it removed the casinos from the process. And the bill, the law that we ended up with is a competitive bidding uh, arrangement where, you know, Governor Cuomo took the view that, you know, why should the casinos make all the money? Uh, because in New Jersey, casinos are paying a, uh, an online, you know, privilege tax of, I think, around 13 and a half percent. The governor is casting eyes, loving eyes towards New Hampshire, where New Hampshire lottery has a 50-50 or 51-49 revenue share. So that's the model that the governor wants. So instead of creating a, 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 a double-digit licensing scheme where, you know, like with New Jersey, you have 17 mobile apps, he is uh, essentially created here is a winner-take-all environment with the potential for as few as four customer-facing uh, mobile apps. For a state that's probably three times the size of New York, I'm sorry, three times the size of New Jersey in terms of population size, we will have more the number of mobile apps that the state of New Jersey has, although there's the possibility of more. So this was, this was a revenue play where the governor wanted to create a bidding war where companies like DraftKings, FanDuel, Barstool, you know, uh, Caesars would 
would bid up some crazy number, 50, 55, 60% revenue share to the state, which would be, you know, four to five times the share that New Jersey gets in the hope that this would create uh, at least a half a million dollars annually in state revenue share. Uh, by contrast, you know how much New Jersey makes for all of the, the crazy numbers that they generate in terms of handle? New Jersey generates 50 million annually. I think the number's 50 million, I, last time I checked. So what he's going for in New York is, a, is sort of a, 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 a private public partnership where the state is the equal partner. Um, the difficulty doing that legally, I think, is that it creates, uh, when you have competitive bidding, implicit in that is that there are, there's competition. There are winners and then there are losers. And when the losers are excluded from the process and don't make the cut, that's where you might see the prospect of litigation. I think the horse racing industry, uh, some of the excluded online providers, the Indian tribes are talking about violations of their exclusivity. I'm sorry for you know having a podcast where I'm I'm coming forward with all these legal you know legal like conspiracy theories and everybody's going to start filing suit, but Florida and New York are particularly right for litigation possibilities. And I would expect that to unfold in both those states. That's not the case in every other state. But when you when you when you have state constitutions and various tribal issues and then a winner take all environment, it's basically a recipe for for, for an aggrieved stakeholder deciding to take the matter to the courts. Uh, so New York will, will, will ultimately uh, be created in New York is a restricted it will be statewide mobile sports betting, but it will be restricted to probably anywhere between four to a half dozen companies. On well, the phone with Daniel Wall, gaming law and sports betting attorney. Daniel, is that what Cuomo was worried about? Because, I mean, I called him out on this show because, look, get mobile sports betting however it was. But was he worried about the litigation that you're talking about from the Indian tribes, from, uh, you know, the reservations and, and the exclusivity because of the, the compact? Joe Adabo basically said what you talked about, about the servers aren't here and whatnot. So what wound up winning out? What wound up really changing Cuomo's mind? I mean, the, the, he has a budget bill and you know, sports betting is low hanging fruit. It, it's not going to solve all the budget deficits, but it, but, but it gave him an opportunity to, uh, um, you know, tout like some major economic, you know, um, you know, performance for the state. He created a structure which is really the first major state in the country, the first big state in the country to um, uh, monetize sports betting through competitive bidding. It's transformative. All the other states that have legalized sports betting with the exception of New Hampshire, uh, Rhode Island and Oregon, and, and then of course, District of Columbia, they're the, the, those small states are doing revenue shares. New York is the first major state to do things that way. So uh, what, he's, what, he, what he's proposed and what, what is actually consummated here is a first of its kind structure with a state, not the casino, is gonna be making the lion's share of the money with none of the risk, right? Because if the casino, if the, if the online gaming companies have a bad month and they lose money, well, the state doesn't have to go into its pocket to replenish the difference. The state is in a no-lose situation and will get upwards of 50 or potentially 60% of the revenue share. So from Cuomo's perspective, it's a no-brainer economically. However, from a legal perspective, it definitely uh, creates, for me at least, what, what I would think is an uncomfortable amount of risk because now you're, now you're intruding upon uh, tribal exclusivity in certain counties. And I don't think that the tribes lawsuits, and there's one in particular, the Oneida tribe, upstate New York, they may very well bring suit, but I think that's a money damages issue because if you violate the exclusivity, 
uh, that, that really creates economic consequences. I don't believe that the tribe, even if they were successful, would be able to stop mobile sports betting statewide. At best, they would be able to keep it out of those 10 counties in upstate New York where the, where the Oneida tribe has exclusivity, but it wouldn't affect the downstate portion of New York. What I'd be more worried about is the prospect of someone challenging this mobile sports betting law as a violation of the state constitution, which requires that all the gambling, all the casino gambling, including sports betting, take place at the casino gambling facilities. And in this instance, uh, if, you're, if you're removing the casinos from the process, uh, the casinos aren't controlling who the sportsbook providers are. Uh, the market access deals between the four casinos and the FanDuel's, DraftKings, and, and, and bar schools, those are not valid. It's, this is open bidding to any suitable bidder, and the, the arrangement is strictly between the state and the online gaming provider. The casino has no involvement at all other than being paid a fee for allowing a server to be hosted on their land in order to maintain the perception and maintain maybe even the reality that the bet takes place at the casino, but it looks a lot cleaner if the casino is involved in terms of being a business partner, if the casino interacts with the customer, if the casino chooses its online gaming partner, but none of that has happened here. The, the, the state of New York and the governor has removed the casino entirely out of the process and the state has, is standing in its place and removing the casino to an outside passive observer. And I'm concerned that that part of the deal makes this look a little bit less like casino gambling and more like a state lottery run sports betting system, which in the past, the New York Attorney General has said that the lottery cannot operate sports betting because that would violate the New York constitutional prohibition against bookmaking, pool selling, and gambling. And the only way to fit or shoehorn sports betting within the confines of the state constitution is to run it through the casino and have it be a form of casino gambling. But can you really say that it's casino gambling when the casino is not directly involved as, as a partner and is simply a, a, a passive bystander that allows a, a server to be placed on its property. I think it becomes an open question. And hypothetically, maybe it means nothing, but when you have a competitive bidding environment with only a few winners and uh, quite a few losing parties, it raises the, the likelihood that one of the excluded stakeholders might try to challenge the system in court as a violation of either the state constitution or a violation of you know, tribal exclusivity. So it runs a very high risk of leading to a court battle. And uh, I think that Joe Adabo's plan uh, really eliminated or significantly reduced the risk of litigation because it provided market access for everybody, the casinos, their online partners, the racetracks, the OTBs, the video lottery terminal facilities, and even the professional sports franchises, they all had a way in. This law, however, only rewards at most four companies out of potentially dozens of stakeholders. So when you look at it from my lens with the potential legal vulnerability, coupled with the number of excluded stakeholders, it, it really creates an equation for, for litigation. Daniel, it has been absolutely fantastic. You've been very generous with your time. Um, I, I got to tell you, 
it's a ball of yarn that just keeps you keep pulling the strings and you have an answer for every single one of the strings. I love it. Guys, that is Daniel Wall, gaming law and sports betting attorney, founder of Wallach Legal of Sports Wagering, legal analyst at The Athletic. Go check out his podcast. It's co-host uh, at Con Detrimental at C-O-N Detrimental is his podcast. Again, thank you very much to Daniel. I got to tell you, you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask him about was California. Um, but there's, there's really not a lot uh, that we could talk about other than sports betting will be on the ballot in California, Daniel has said, and he's put this out on Twitter in 21 or 22. California was one of those states that we weren't sure. You know, would it ever be able to get there? Would it ever be able to get ratified? Would it ever get there? Look, it's going to be on the bill. And I, I think it's... We all understand, and this is what I got from Daniel. We all understand sports betting is coming to America, okay? There might be one or two states that never get it, and Utah probably won. But overall, every state is eventually going to get it. The question is when, and the bigger question is who gets the money. I mean, that's the only thing holding most of this up. As you can hear from what Daniel was talking about, about Florida and New York— Who's getting the money? Where's the money grab coming from is really the question that we need to answer. And it's not, well, sports betting isn't coming here. It's when is it coming here and who's going to get that lion's share? It will be in 48-plus states, guys. It's going to be there. Is it going to take two years, three years, five years, ten years? That's the problem. And who's going to really reap all the benefits that's the secondary question. Oh, that is all speculation into the future. I'm speculating into the future, so let's go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet, bet to, the, to future. the future. All right, bet to the future, guys. It looks like maybe Julio Jones will have a different team. So there are odds up what team that might be. Well, at the top of the heap, we still have Atlanta. His current team is minus 150. Indianapolis plus 500. We're talking about the Rams plus 500. Yeah, that's interesting. The Chargers are plus 500. Baltimore and New England plus 700. And San Francisco, Tennessee plus 800 a pop. That is bet to the future. Hey, guys, Julio Jones, very expensive, very big-body dude, right? I mean, there are some teams here. I, I, I can't imagine that Atlanta wouldn't explore the possibility. I don't think Atlanta's going to get rid of him. And you know what makes me think that Atlanta's not going to go and make this move is because they drafted a tight end in the top five, <laughs> right? I mean, they're obviously going, yeah, the offense. It's a— uh, it's an interesting situation because I think that they could get quite a bit back for him. Yeah. And if somebody offers what I think that they should offer for him, sure. But what teams are out there? And by the way, Green Bay not being on the list is just... <laughs> it's just funny, right? Um, look, I think Tennessee probably wants him. And they know that they have to kind of move off of Derrick Henry. He's got a lot of carries. I don't, I don't love that one. San Francisco doesn't have a lot of draft, draft capital. Um, they could use them, sure. Indianapolis makes a lot of sense. I don't like the either one of the L.A. teams. Nah, I don't see that happening. Baltimore. Baltimore never trade. They, they don't make that decision. I mean, you know, look, they don't let the guy throw anyway. Lamar Jackson doesn't throw the ball. New England, Indy, Atlanta would be the three for me. New England would, would back the truck up because it's Bill Belichick. Oh, look at who I go get. But then again, look. They don't care about wide receivers. We know Belichick doesn't care about wide receivers. He just doesn't. So Indy-Atlanta are the two obvious ones. I think Indy would almost be the the 
absolute favorite here if it wasn't all of us speculating and just saying, you know, I can't imagine, can't imagine him leaving Atlanta. All right, guys, I'm Tom Bard for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.